Jimmy Kowalski. The sun is down, the streetlights are on, and you're listening to Largely the Truth with Brennan Store. To all you restless sleepers and midnight creepers, bleary-eyed truckers and the graveyard shift, this is Brennan Store, and you're listening to Largely the Truth. Whether you're staring at a screen or the lines on the road, all is well, and for the next little while, it's going to stay that way. Because I'm here, you're there, and together, we're going to explore the night. Welcome back to Largely the Truth. I am your host, Brennan Store, and this is the internet's favorite podcast. The internet just doesn't know it yet. I hope this finds you well, folks. We've had some, some extreme weather out here on the West Coast, so I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, but that's all right. Keeps me focused. And that is really how I've survived 2020 and 2021, is by virtue of having the many podcasts that I produce. I have of course, this show, Largely the Truth, which comes out weekly. I also have The Ghost Story Guys, which is my primary show, and that comes out bi-weekly. But I also produce for those patrons two weekly podcasts, Book of the Dead and Host Adventures, plus the monthly podcasts, Me and Paul and The Sunken Library. And I also produce the podcasts, Mysteries and Monsters and Lucore. So with all that, I never get too much time to dwell on the state of the world. And yeah, that is probably a good thing. So there you go. That's Bren's tips for surviving the apocalypse, a steady diet of work, microdosing psilocybin, and uh, a little talk therapy. Never hurt anyone either. Speaking of therapy, our guest this week is someone who found therapy in a place she least expected it. And though I won't give it all away now, I will say that author Jamie Sherling has an inspiring tale of surviving breast cancer and finding new family in the drag community of Madison, Wisconsin. Don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash largely the truth, where for $2 a month, you get ad-free episodes and access to bonus material when available. Again, that's patreon.com slash largely the truth. For $2 a month, you get early access to an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Because let's face it, ads suck. All right, with that out of the way, it's time to sit back, relax, and reach out to Jamie Sherling, author of From Queens to Queens. How the Madison Drag Community Saved My Life. My guest tonight is author Jamie Sherling, whose brand new book, From Queens to Queens, How the Madison Drag Community Saved My Life, tells a story of her battle against breast cancer and the community who helped see her through. Jamie is also the founder of You Do You Sweets, a clothing line created for her sister breast cancer survivors. Jamie, welcome to Largely the Truth. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And we have a lot to talk about, but the, the first thing I wanted to do is just congratulate you on the release of From Queens to Queens. That must feel great. It does. It still doesn't feel real, though. There are days where I'm sitting here right now. I just put my book in my hands and I'm sitting here thinking, this is a book. And the words I, <laughs> that are inside of it came from me. <laughs> it's very surreal. And it, it's still pretty new. That was, was it September 15th that came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just over two months ago. So, wow. yeah, still very new. Yeah, so you're you're right in, right in the thick of it. How mm-hmm. how has the reception been so far? Better than I ever could have imagined. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to invite negativity, but 
for anybody who has read the book, there I say some things about a certain person in my life that I wouldn't say they were unkind. It just this person might be viewed in a negative way. And I said the truth, but I was expecting people who are connected to that person to come at me, like to be angry. And why would you say that? And you shouldn't have aired your dirty laundry, et cetera, et cetera. And I have to knock. Oh, there isn't wood near me. Well, I'll knock on my countertop. The, <laughs> I remember thinking, where's the hate? And like, again, I didn't want it, but either people who would have felt negatively either haven't read the book, which fine, maybe it's not for them anyway, or they just read it and decided not to come get me. But yeah, so all of the response has been positive, which has been lovely. That's fantastic. That, that was actually one of my questions because we were talking off air about how I listened to your interview on Kate Walinga's podcast. And you had mentioned being concerned because that, that interview was done uh, just prior to the book being released and you were concerned about blowback. So I was curious to know whether there had been any. And so it's, that, that's, it's good to hear there hasn't. Although I wonder... To give a little bit away, you, I think specifically you're probably referring to your, the divorce. Yes, my ex-husband. And it still could come. And I am prepared for it. If it, I, did, I did some work and definitely I'm in therapy. I think therapy is helpful for everybody. Absolutely. And have some plans that if that hate did come my way, I have some thought presses at least to try to take care of myself. But so far, no. And could it still come? Sure. That's possible. Sure. Although I like to say, as someone who's, who's been through, um, shall we say, messy separations, I think having the receipts, which you describe yourself as having, um, that makes <laughs> oh, all the difference. <laughs> because they can only come for you if, if you can't prove what you're saying. And if you can prove what you're saying, then it's, uh, it's a nice position to be in. Well, I almost didn't publish this book. I was, Really? Yes. And if you could see my fingers, I'd say this close. Huh. So it was December of... 2020. Yeah. December, 2020. The book was done. At least I quote, <laughs> I thought it was done. I ended up editing it a lot more after that. But at that time I thought I've, I was done. I've been there. I, I sympathize. <laughs> getting ready to talk to agents and publishers and all of the things. And I had this crisis of, Ooh, I don't know. Is it too mean? Like, is it too mean to him, to the ex-husband? Right. And may, you know, maybe I really don't want this getting out there. And I actually asked my therapist, <laughs> talked to her and she is so kind. She is uh, above and beyond in that she read the book. I asked her and I, I even said, I know this isn't your job as a therapist, but would you? And oh. she did. And because if she had come back to me and said, you know, ooh, for your mental health, I actually think it's not a good idea for you to publish this book. Right. I, I might not have. And she, of course, said the exact opposite. You have to. And then I also talked to the friend who was a mutual friend of both my friend and then also my ex-husband. And her flat out was this is your story. And he's allowed to tell his story if he wants to. And as long as you, she happens to be an author, I mean, right. an author and a lawyer. And she oh, said, wow. that's a good as resource. Long to have. As, right. She said, if you're telling the truth, are you, you know, if you're telling the truth, you're okay. And I said, Oh, I'm definitely, this is, it's not made up. It's not blown into something. It wasn't, especially when I put quotes in the book, they are legitimate quotes. It's exactly what the person said. And a lot of my book is texting and messaging just because, I don't know, not everybody my age, but for me, a lot of times it's easier just to be messaging back and forth than to get on the phone. So in that case, it is exactly what, is what was typed and is on my screen. Right. So it is definitely the truth. And having both of those people and, and a few others say, 
well, A, it's a, that's a terrible idea. If that's your reason for not doing this, that's a terrible idea. But also, <laughs> you have to move forward. This book is it's important. It's inspiring. It's wonderful. Go ahead. And so, yes, it could have just sat on a flash drive. And here I am instead holding it in my hand. Well, I'm certainly glad you did because I think it's important. It's almost like an exorcism of a kind. You know, you, you have to get these things out and get, and get it out into the world. And especially, you know, given what you've been through. It's, I think, so important for people to A, hear that story and B, for you to be able to tell it without being, without being restrained by someone else's expectations. And in that vein, uh, let's talk a little bit first about, about the Madison drag community, because I think that establishes uh, such a great base for you to then kind of navigate what you had to navigate. And how is it you first found yourself, uh, you first found yourself at, was it, it was Five Nightclub in Madison, right? Five Nightclub, my favorite place to watch drag. So I came into this scene in a very atypical way. So I was in a musical. I was in a local community theater production. The choreographer who I became friends with just so happened to be a drag queen, but I don't even know when I knew that, but I definitely knew Josh. Josh was my friend. And then after the show was over, Josh texted me and said, do you want to be a backup dancer in a drag show pageant? And I'm thinking, yes, absolutely. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> and I had, I knew that drag existed. I knew that it was an art form, but I had never seen a drag show in person. I had never seen an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Just no in-person exposure. And then here I am. So the first time I went to Five Night Club wasn't for a drag show. It was a Saturday afternoon to meet up to work on this choreography. And then I met three other people who I met them as Dan, Jacob, and Michael. They also happened to perform as drag queens. But when I met them, I met them in their male presenting self. And, right. and I wonder if that is different because a lot of people, you go to a drag show and you go to the show and you see the queens and maybe at some point you get to them. But for me, it was like, oh, this is my friend, Dan. This is my friend, Jacob. This is Michael. And then it's almost like they put on this costume and go do this performance. Right. Of course. So I got to be friends with them. We rehearsed for weeks. And then I went to my first drag show and thought, where has this been my entire life? This is the greatest thing ever. And <laughs> I love the costumes, the, the, whether they're gowns or leotards, the wigs, the makeup. And then it's almost like listening to little mini musicals all night because there's usually songs and choreography and all performed on a stage. So I was in love with it immediately. And then also these people were my friends. And then it just grew from there. That's fantastic. And so from the point, actually going right back to the beginning, do you have a background in dance? Unofficially. So I was in what's called drum and bugle corps. And I was in the color guard. And then I was okay. also in something called winter color guard. And I had a little bit of dance classes when I was a child, but really the drum and bugle corps and the color guard and all of that, it was informal dance training. So yes, I wouldn't say, you know, I don't have a degree in dance or anything like that, but many, many years of informal dance training. Right. I mean, it, it all counts. I, I have zero training to be doing this right here, but now I do it for a living. So I, I think it, as long as you can do it, that's all that matters. There you go. So from the time you started in the drag community, how long was it before you got your diagnosis? I'll just say the beginning, you know, was the backup dancing, getting ready for that. So that's October 17, 2017. And okay. my diagnosis was spring of 2018. Oh man. So not a long, long time after it was probably 
May, June. I don't remember the exact date now, but yeah. So I had just, I wasn't even really entrenched in the community quite yet. I was going to shows pretty regularly and I had those few that I knew who were my friends and would latch onto them and say hi and follow their shows, but I wasn't going all of the time yet prior to my diagnosis. And then things definitely changed from there. Do you mind telling us a little bit about how it was you discovered that you had breast cancer? I, I know a friend of mine, but my oldest friend, he had uh, leukemia in 2019. And that was such a, it was such a shock, you know, because he went from, uh, he went from, you know, I have a sore throat to being airlifted to the cancer ward at the hospital on the coast in five hours. Oh, you know, it I'm was, so it, sorry. it just, oh, thank you. He, he's okay now. It, it, he got through it, but, uh, as I'm, as I'm sure you experienced, it just transforms your life in an instant. Uh, was, was that your experience? So I had the unique experience because I actually kind of had the scare a whole year earlier. So a year earlier in the spring of 2017, I just had, I had a mammogram because I thought it was a good idea. A friend encouraged me. I was of the age that was a good idea to go get one. Right. And there was a lump. They needed to do a biopsy. So I was so scared. So that's spring of 17. I was just scared out of my mind thinking, oh my gosh, I might have cancer and this is terrible. And then it turned out, no, those are calcifications. You're fine. But come back in a year and check it out. So when I went back the following year, I wasn't worried at all because I thought, well, I mean, I didn't have breast cancer then, so I'm not going to have it now, but sure, I'll go. Like I didn't even, I almost forgot to make the appointment. I wasn't, I didn't feel anything. I went because I am a rule follower and they said, come back in a year. So I went back in a year. And when I had, again, a mammogram then, and then they had to do another biopsy. That's when I started to get a little nervous, but still like, no, 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 it should still be fine. And then you get the phone call from the nurse and I work from home. I've worked from home for a long time and nurse calls and says, you have cancer. And then it really turns upside down. But it was weird because leading right leading up to the diagnosis, I wasn't worried at all. Right. I I mean, in a way that must have been liberating because I I know people who've sort of had that the opposite experience where it was, uh, you know, they just had the the, the certainty the entire time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Although I guess the end Mm -hmm. result is the same. You have cancer. Mm hmm. And so I think everyone's journeys are so, so different and me having it well, maybe I do one year and I don't. And then going back a year later thinking I don't, and then I do. And you're right at the end of the day, it's like, okay, now, now you have the diagnosis. Now what? Absolutely. And so what, what is the next step then? Definitely assess the situation, at least at the cancer center where I have received treatment, which I think is an amazing, amazing facility. So I give them a ton of credit. It's really what's best for you. So it, it was a lot of tests. It was, okay, well, we know you have breast cancer. So is it is it just there or is it in your lymph nodes? It was in my lymph nodes. So oh, that's no. what dictates future things. Because if right. there had been a lump, then you might have a lumpectomy. They cut it out and go on with your day. I mean, not that it's that simple for someone who's in that position, but definitely more simple than, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, you need chemo. You need radiation. So for me, it was, I chose to have a double mastectomy because I had genetic testing done as well. And the genetic testing came back and said, you tested positive for the check two mutation, which means the chance that it will, that you will have a diagnosis in your other breast is 30%. I was like, no way, Mm -mm, 30%. That's a very high number. So 
I felt like I would just be waiting for the next diagnosis, not even wondering. It's like, oh, when's it going to come? So I chose to have the double mastectomy. And then I had I had five months of chemotherapy. Wow. And I had six weeks of radiation. And then after the radiation, I was on a targeted, it's called a monoclonal antibody, I found out. It's not chemotherapy in that my hair started growing back, which was pretty awesome. But yet it still was given to me through my port. So I'd had the five months and the six weeks. And then I had another nine months where I was going to the cancer center once every three weeks and had this infusion, but yet I didn't really have any side effects from it. And again, my hair was growing back. So the whole process was like July of 18 was when I started that was when first chemo and then my port didn't come out until fall of 2019. That's an incredibly long time to have to deal with having a port. That must have been a pain in the ass. I actually got used to it, oddly enough. Like I kind of forgot it was there most of the time. Right. Other than if I'd wear certain clothing and think, oh, well, there it is. Right. But then there were other times that people wouldn't, other people wouldn't even know it was there. So luckily I got used to it. Oh, good. I think it helped having so many treatments of that. It's called Herceptin that didn't have the side effects. Because if that had been harsh chemotherapy for nine months, I'd be having a different conversation. Yeah. Now, looking at my notes here, did I read this right? That you ran the Austin Marathon only weeks after finishing radiation therapy? (laughs) Uh, 16 days, and it was a half marathon. Okay. So it's funny. I was just talking about this the other night with a group of people, one of whom was the coach at the time. So yeah, I don't, for any of you potential runners out there, do not do what I did. It's not a good idea because (laughs) the most that I trained leading up to it was four miles. That's also not good. I had done a half marathon before that. So I think I had that in the back of my mind saying, well, you know, I've done it before. I can do it again. Like I know at least I've done this. I know I can based on right. past experience, but yeah, doing only four miles was not great. And I was so glad that I actually talked to the radiation oncologist about it because I had finished. So February 1st was my last radiation treatment. And then I think it was within a week that I saw the radiation oncologist. How are you doing? How's it going? You know, scarring or this, that, and the other thing. And I don't even know how it came up, but I said, oh yeah, well, I'm going to run a half. And, and at that point it was probably a week away. And she actually gave me this really great idea that there was some kind of, I don't even know what it was, some kind of patch that I put on my chest wall on top of where I'd had the radiation. And she said, I think this might be helpful with chafing and all that. And Oh, of course. Because I didn't even think, duh, like that didn't even occur to me. So I am very glad that I mentioned it. And I, they kind of were this self-adhesive, almost like a gel sticker that I just stuck on my chest wall and- it was an awful half marathon. It was definitely the worst race of my life. And I was in a lot of pain and my feet were hurting a lot. And, but again, not surprising based on my lack of training and treatment and everything else. But I did it anyway. That's incredible. And this was, and not, to, not to pry, but this was sort of towards the tail end of the marriage as well. So you had not only the stress of, of the fight against the disease and the physical stress, but also that emotional stress as well, which is an incredible burden. Yes. Well, and as you know from the book, the ex-husband ran with me. So I had him literally by my side those whole 13 miles, which no, did not make it any better. (laughs) It definitely made it worse. Jeez. 
Oh, not a fond memory, but I'm glad I did it. And there it's life is and I'm stealing this word. It's not my word. Brutiful. Glennon Doyle came up with it and I love it. Oh, I like and that. It, that life is brutal and beautiful. And I feel like for me, that happens a lot that in simul, almost simul, if not simultaneously, definitely within minutes that here I was, you know, I'm running with him and it's terrible and it's awful. And I feel like I got shot in the foot. But then five steps later, I see one of my coworkers on the course with a sign and cheering for me and big smiles. And so it was definitely brutal. It was definitely a brutal weekend. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So from that point on, of course, as you describe in the book, eventually you separated and then you, you had to do something, which I, I, I got to tell you, just as someone who's, uh, you know, I, I've been uh, married for more than 10 years. It, the idea of having to date again scares the shit out of me, Jamie. It just, it's awful. it sounds, yeah, I was going to say your description of it, um, of being on dating apps, my hat's off to you because what <sighs> a friggin' nightmare it sounds like. Uh, more than not. Yes. I mean. Yeah, I've had some some good dates and some good moments, but overall, pretty, pretty terrible for me. Um, different things like, you know, being ghosted and you have a communication and you're you're messaging someone for hours and hours and hours. And then the next day you go on the app and their account just has disappeared. I cannot I'm crying um, out loud. I cannot imagine yep. doing that to another person. It, it one was especially me. bad because I had we had been messaging really back and forth for hours because I was out that night. I was with friends, but you're just quick messaging back and forth and sure. yeah, hours and hours next day, no account. Oh man. It, yeah. That just breaks my brain. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't Me handle too. it. I, I am so, I get, cause I'm, I'm very much a, I'm very much an upfront person. You know, what you see is what you get. I'm very, I'm very uh, honest about what I think. And for someone to kind of string you along like that and then just disappear would drive me mm -hmm. crazy. Have it happened once would piss me off after two, I'd be apoplectic. Well, I definitely have gone in my waves of I'm on the apps and then I delete them all and then I'm on them and then right. I delete them and thinking, oh, maybe, maybe this will work this time. And well, and especially right now, the, the pandemic really isn't over of yet. Course. Yeah. So that time we're thinking, well, I want to potentially have a partner. I maybe want to find someone. But for so long, it wasn't even an option to say, well, let me be at the coffee shop and bump into someone. There is no you bump into someone. Now, I think we're starting to sort of kind of get away from that. So and I think that's the better way. I think that's the way I would like to meet someone. I think I would like to meet someone organically that you just meet randomly and start having a conversation and goes from there. Yeah, the idea of uh, having to. I don't know, pick, to choose people like you choose produce doesn't seem like exactly. a great way to need, need people. Okay. Well, this, this is never something I've said publicly, publicly, publicly. So here we go. But All I'm right. putting it out in the universe because maybe if I really put it out there, it'll happen. My dream little fantasy world was that my book would come out and I would be at a book event for okay. my book and I would meet someone there, someone I didn't know, but like a friend of a friend, even a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, because they'd have to somehow know to get there. Right. And we would just be chatting and, oh, I'm here. I'm here for this event. And, you know, me being coy and shy. Oh, OK. Yeah, that, that event is me. And having that be the way I meet my person. So hey, you're still early still in, in the promo cycle. Absolutely. So there's, right, still, right, there's still time. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. 
So from the time you were diagnosed, tell me how your, your involvement with, uh, with five and the drag community, tell me how that changed and sort of how that kind of informed how you, you dealt with the disease. It, there were two times that informed me in different ways. So I feel like there's the base that was being a backup dancer, becoming friends with the few people going to shows, you know, kind of, I went to their shows specifically. It was kind of, oh, okay. Chaos is hosting. So I'll go to chaos's show, but picking and choosing. And then I had had my double mastectomy in June and was recovering at home. Four days later, I decided I want to go to a drag show because I could sit at home or I could sit there. And that's one of the things I love about five is that most of the time when you're watching a show, you're sitting. Like, right. I'm too old to be standing and watching a show for hours. <laughs> I like, oh, I get to sit at a table. That's what I need. So I figure sitting at home, sitting here, what's the difference? And the host of the show, Brianna, I knew who she was from that show. We, I don't think we had ever even had a conversation. She definitely didn't know who I was. Or, I mean, again, maybe she might have recognized my face, but I don't even think that. And so here I am. It's four days after my surgery. I'm wearing the button-down shirt that my daughter loaned me, which I'd worn it for days. So it's probably pretty crusty and gross. I don't even know if I had, I don't think I had showered yet. I think that few, four days out, I don't think so. So hair's kind of gross. I am not feeling particularly good looking or anything very special that day. And during the halfway point of the show, Brianna's bantering with the audience as she does. And she looks at my husband and, ooh, who are you here with? And Many, many times at five, people wondered if he was gay. And I was like, no, he's mine. Um, we're connected. So she looked at him. Who are you here with? And he says, my wife. And just kind of glanced at me. And she turns her head just a little and says, oh, you're pretty, like really pretty. And I almost just lost it right on the spot. I did not cry. In my head, I was crying. And just because I was in this place of not feeling good, not feeling like sure. I looked good at all. And I really don't think she was saying that to score points. I just don't think Brianna's that kind of person. Actually, she's pretty honest and straightforward. So that was a moment of like, wow, okay, this is what, hap this is what happens here. And then fast forward, the other moment was kind of a, a bunch of moments altogether when I had made the decision that I did not want to be at least maybe married on paper, but the, relation the romantic relationship with my ex-husband was, was done. Knew it was done, and I was really sad about it. And sure. I mean, I knew I knew I wanted to be done, but that also doesn't mean that you're not really, really sad. So I would be driving to five and just tears streaming down my face, and then I'd park the car, wipe my face, and say, "You can't go to drag drag show," and <laughs> then go in. And sure enough, I'd walk in, and and when I was still feeling I'm feeling down, my marriage had fallen apart. I'm 40 plus years old. I don't feel especially attractive at that time, especially at that moment. Like I still didn't, I had maybe a teensy bit of hair, but not very much at all. So I'm not feeling great. And then I'd walk in there. Hey, beautiful. Hey, fabulous. How are you? And just being loved on. And it's a place where everyone's accepted for who they are. And that's the name of the game. That's really wonderful. I agree. It's a very special place. With a very special people. Absolutely. I assume you're still, uh, you're still going to five. Are they back open after the pandemic? Yeah. So they are. Thank goodness. So the night, I believe it was March, March 16th, I believe, 
we knew that maybe something was going on with the pandemic, but it's funny to think back. This is March of 2020 when the kids weren't going to have school for a week and thought, oh, this is just going to be a few weeks and it'll blow over. <laughs> which is yeah, hilarious. I those think, days. Like, oh, how wrong we were. Yes. And I had went to five on a, on a Sunday night, a typical that was the Mad City Drag Review. And that was a very standard show that I went to. And it felt like typical Mad City Drag Review, except they closed at midnight because it was a new day. They would have had to count people again. I'm like, oh, we're counting people. At the door. OK, sure. If that's what you have to do. So they just closed. And then the very next day, the owner went on social media live and basically said, I'm closing the doors indefinitely. And I I lost it. It was just, I bet. oh, that it just the rug swept out from under me completely. And so it was closed for a good couple months. And then it came back and slowly but surely, but wearing masks. It was really weird because it's a place where you're used to, of course, being unmasked and hugging and kissing and closeness and all of this. And then you're like, we're here, but is it really okay? And I guess, hi, but you have a mask on. Do you want to be hugged? Do you want to be hugged with a mask on? So it was very, there was a very weird stretch. And then there was the summer of 2020 that had patio drag shows. And those, I honestly think got me through that a bulk of the pandemic because, and it was great. We sat on the patio and had a cocktail and the poor Queens though, they performed on the the parking lot. So they're <laughs> probably about to break a heel and, but I was grateful for it. So, and then it, they even continued till it started to get cold where it's early October. We're sitting there and I'm wrapped up in a blanket and I have a hot chocolate, but <laughs> thank goodness. And then, and then it went, you know, there was, I don't think it ever closed again, but it was, I chose to not go for a while that winter thinking, oh, I don't know, cases are spiking. This doesn't seem good. Sure. Maybe I can't go. Now it's pretty much, I wouldn't say back to normal, but almost, it almost feels like it did pre pandemic. And they do require vaccination cards at the door, which I am grateful for. I know that I'm is a hot button topic, but I am, I'm grateful for it. And I'm so glad. And I feel like that is why I am comfortable going there. I feel the same way. I mean, are we, here in BC, they just, I want to say about two months ago, instituted uh, a vaccine card verification for movie theaters, uh, restaurants, like sit down restaurants, places like this. And I, I, like you, I hadn't really gone to any of the places I really liked because you just didn't know, right? You, and you, one mm-hmm. thing I think right. we've learned is you can't necessarily trust the people around you to do the right thing. Definitely not. Definitely not. So, so now I'm back to going at least, at least a couple nights a week. Excellent. And, and it's great. It's, it's good to be back. It's good. To, it's like, oh, it's good to be in this space again. Speaking of, of quarantine, something I really, uh, I got a chuckle out of in the book is you talked about formal Fridays or, <laughs> uh, on your, yes. your Zoom calls at work. Can you tell us a little bit about those? I sure can. And I'm looking on my phone right now because I want to give an accurate number. Today is formal Friday number 84. Huh. So I have done, this is the 84th consecutive <laughs> formal Friday. So I never would have imagined that. It started out very fluky. It was April of 2020. A connection on LinkedIn, actually, who I didn't even really know very well. I mean, again, just kind of knew each other that way. And she got on the app one day and posted a video of herself. And I'm wearing a gown and she had pearls. And her reasoning was that, yes, it's a pandemic, but 
the, the us wearing sweatpants and yoga pants every day, it's actually hurting the fashion industry. And I thought, oh, that's a really good point. And so the challenge was formal Friday, just you know, the rest of the week, wear sweatpants, wear yoga pants, wear whatever you want. But one day a week, just kind of shine up. And I thought, this is amazing. I love this idea. And I like to be dressed up. I don't like doing it all the time, but the thought of, oh, one day a week. And so sure enough, I would hop onto my work calls in April and May. And especially the beginning, I was a was super duper dressy because I had the gowns. Now I have to be creative. I don't have 84 gowns, not even close. <laughs> I did wonder. That seems like a lot of gowns. <laughs> no, so today, so today's form, I'll, I'll paint the picture. Today's formal Friday is a pair of skinny jeans, heels, and then a top that sequins. I love it. So it works. And we've, we've since decided, I mean, we being me, because it's my thing, that formal Friday is an attitude. So one time, actually, during the pandemic, my formal Friday look was a long pajama shirt. Then it said, is it Friday yet? And then I had these sparkly leg warmers. <laughs> and I did makeup and works. And I'm like, see, this is formal Friday. The leggings are sparkly. I have makeup on. But really, it doesn't matter. Formal Friday is what you want to think formal Friday is, but it's something to look forward to. And the amount of friends who are so into it, it still boggles my mind that I have had friends reach out to me. You can't ever stop formal Fridays. I look forward to this every week. Thinking, <laughs> really? It really like you care that much, but, and it's not just one person, a number of people have reached out to me. So I feel like I can't ever stop. If it got to be 10 o'clock on a Friday morning and I didn't post, people probably think I was dead or something. <laughs> Send out a search party. Where are you? And where's the formal Friday picture? Well, these days we, we all need something to look forward to. So I, I get it. I get it. I guess so. And it's fun for me too. I mean, I love that my friends and the people who are following it get a kick out of it, but I enjoy it too. It's fun to just pop on some cute clothes and take a picture. And when, when everything is falling apart and you can still find something that brings you joy and or brings joy to someone else, we got to go with it. Absolutely. And since we're talking fashion, this seems like a great time to transition to YDY Suites, your fashion line. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, about exactly what it is you're trying to do with YDY Suites and uh, where, where that came from for you? Sure. And it's actually really changed in the time since I started. So when I first decided to design a clothing line for breast cancer survivors, there was nothing that existed, a line specifically for this body type, which is a female presenting body that either has one breast or zero. Women's clothes are generally not made for that body type. And right. you have options there, women. I did wear prosthetics, which is basically a bra with kind of filler. And then you could wear other clothing that way, but I didn't want to. But then the clothing that I had had in my wardrobe didn't fit. And so trying to find, I'm like, okay, well, where, where do I find clothes that fit? And I'm a big thrift shopper and I did some thrift shopping and I could find some things, but it was hard. It was, you might be in the dressing room for hours and then find two things that work. And so I looked around for a clothing line made for us and it didn't exist. So I thought, well, maybe I could do this. And I don't know how to sew. I still don't know how to sew and I don't want to. So I worked, <laughs> I met with other clothing designers. I met with a pattern maker through a local college here and I have since designed hmm, three pieces and 
was ready to launch in March of 2020. Of course, like I had had a photo right. shoot, the works, and then the world turns upside down and everyone's working from home. People again being in sweatpants. So I didn't launch, even though I was ready to go and didn't then launch until September of 2020, thinking eh, we're still not back to normal, but some people are going back to work and maybe some people still want to dress up and decided to launch. And the response was great. I wouldn't, the sales weren't what I wanted it to be, of course. Right. And I think part of it is just, it's a pricey line. And honestly, it's pricey for me. If I was the consumer of my own line, I might have a hard time buying it. And again, I already said, I'm a big thrift shopper. So for now, what I really want for YDY Suites, I've actually completely redesigned the website that at the end of the day, YDY, it means you do you. So you do what's best for you. So I still have those original pieces for sale. So if someone is drawn to them and they do have that kind of income or they want it to be a gift for a survivor in their life, great. But then I've also worked hard to really discover what works for our bodies and to do the thrift shopping for hours. And again, I've done what, 84 formal Fridays and only three or four of the pieces were mine. Right. Thinking you can find things that work. You just have to dig and you have to hunt. So that's another part of my site is I actually have a little slideshow of different outfits saying, this worked for me, this worked for me, this worked for me from a different designer, from another brand. And then I also have a blog that different women in my shoes have talked about. How do they find clothes that fit? What do they do? What patterns work? And have options because at the end of the day, you do what's best for you. Absolutely. Would, would you say there is a lot of pressure on women to have implants when after having a double mastectomy? Is that sort of an, a, a societal expectation, do you feel? I think so, yes. And I think it's shifting and I'm grateful that it's shifting. Um, but I do think a lot of women I have heard and I have so I can talk about other women's experiences just that I've heard. And then my own. So I have heard from other women that a doctor flat out told them, you won't feel like a woman if you don't have breasts. Oh, my God. Which I say garbage. I would say a worse yeah. word, but this could be a family friendly show. So I would say more <laughs> expletives. But that is trash. And for a medical professional to say that, I think is complete garbage. So to say you won't feel like a woman or you won't be happy. Mm -mm. So my situation I went very step by step with basically my medical team told me to do this. So I did it. Not that I didn't think at all, but they said, okay, go talk to the plastic surgeon. So I did. So I talked to a plastic surgeon and it was an option, but the procedure that I would have had to choose for me was going to be implants. And I thought, I don't know if I want to do implants. And so I talked through it. My best friend, poor girl, um, we messaged a lot back and forth and I was I maybe I'll do it. No, I don't want to. And I think I want to, but not for this reason and back and forth and back and forth. And then I, I did make the decision and my medical team didn't say a word. It was just like, okay, you know, that's what you want to do, which right. I think that's what it should be. I think Absolutely. women should be educated completely that you have the option. You know, these are the options, whether with reconstruction, because not even reconstruction, it's not all implants. Sometimes you can do things like with fat grafting and stuff like that. So maybe implants, maybe not. But then having a double or single mastectomy and not having reconstruction, that is also an option. And going through all the options, the biggest things, I'm not completely anti-implant. There are a lot of women who are, but I will right. say that there are risks involved and 
it is unfair for a woman to not be told those risks. Like they're like, is there something even I think BII is like the little acronym, but breast implant illness. That is a thing. I'm not making it up. So there are women that have had the surgery, they've had the implants and then their body is rejecting them and they're sick, like sicker than when they had cancer. And I'm not saying that to scare someone away from having implants, but I don't also think it's not fair to pretend that that is not a possibility. Absolutely. It's important to, it's important to have the knowledge. And uh, I certainly, I've been in the situation where the, uh, you know, the the medical professional that we're dealing with, you know, in regard to a time when my wife was ill, where they're not giving you all the information. And certainly you are, you're kind of at the mercy of their bias. Absolutely. Uh, Well, and if, if they're the experts, so like BII, I had never even heard of that for, and I don't think I had actually even heard of it till years later after I'd had my surgery and everything. Because again, they don't, it's like, they don't want to scare you. And I'm thinking it's not a fear thing, but you should have all the information to make the best decision. Of course, any decision you make in the medical field, things can happen. There are freak accidents, all those things. But if there's this possibility that is a strong or even a small possibility, I feel like it is wrong for you not to be informed about it I, and I then make the decision more. that's best for you. My doctors are the best. So I, I'm a fan of mine and they, they've been supportive in all the decisions I've made and, but they've also given me the option. So, I mean, I'm, I don't regret going to see the plastic surgeon, but I'm, I'm glad I didn't go that route. I don't think that would have been the right choice for me. So I'm glad I didn't. And I know some women have made that choice and they haven't had any, their bodies accepted them and they didn't have any illness and great. Like if that works for you, great. But I don't think it would have worked for me. Fair. And, and now the, again, the virtue of this is you're, you're an inspiration for other people who are presented with that choice and perhaps not being given all the information from their doctors. Now you are here to tell them there is another way. And I think your book uh, from Queens to Queens is a wonderful place for them to start learning about, uh, about what to expect and, and how they can get through. Thank you for that. Jamie, thank you so, so much for being here. Again, the book is inspirational and where can people find it and you online? The best place to start is YDY Suites website. So it's ydysuites.com. So it's just Y-D-Y-S-W-E-E-T-S.com. YDY Suites. And there, there is a link to purchase my book. If you were to want a, an autographed copy, you could message me on that site. And I do have some books on hand. Some people really like the idea of getting an autographed copy. So Absolutely. I do that as well. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at Jamie Sherling. You just have to spell my name right. So that's the <laughs> trick. That's the trick of that because a lot of people don't spell my name right. But if you search from Queens to Queens, Jamie, you should be able to find me. And if you check the show notes for this episode, I'll include a link to the Amazon page for the book. And I'll also include a link to Jamie's Instagram account so you guys can follow her and uh, message her for a, an autographed copy if that's what you're after. Again, the book is From Queens to Queens, How the Madison Drag Community Saved My Life. The author is Jamie Sherling. Jamie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an, it's an honor. So thank you. And that's the ballgame. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to Jamie's website, Instagram, and the Amazon page where you can pick up a copy of her book. Thanks again to author Jamie Sherling. Thanks too to Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music for my fabulous theme song. 
You can find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizzanta Music everywhere you stream your tunes. Finally, thank you for listening. Without you folks, there wouldn't be much point. Until next time, I hope the night takes you to the same strange and wonderful places it takes me. And remember, if you're not sure what comes next, put a call out into the dark. You never know who's going to pick up. I'll see you next time. <laughs>